and everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does somebody shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dog that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.beehive.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. You can get this podcast wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, anywhere else. Subscribe, rate, review. We are back. As I said before my last episode with Danny Morang, which came out about two weeks ago, uh, I was taking a little bit of a break to move apartments. I'm here to tell you that all went very smoothly, very successfully. And I am back now. Eric Garcia Gunderson, repeat guest, frequent guest, back in the mix with me. What's going on, Eric? You know, uh, licking my wounds from yesterday uh, for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, um, that was lo- not go- go- Going out in very, very sad fashion, 49-3, to not great. I made the right decision yesterday. I was not watching the Ducks. I was thinking about watching the Ducks, but I was I got up early to watch the Taylor Hawkins uh, tribute concert, the drummer from the Foo Fighters who died probably about six months ago. And so I was watching that instead of the Ducks. And because mm-hmm. because the, the concert happened in London. So it was like in the morning was when it was when it was airing there. And so that was a live stream. And that that was awesome to, you know, it, it was uh, that that that's probably not what people are here to hear me talk about, but it was it, it was a, I think it was a better decision and a better use of my time than uh, watching the ducks just from everything I've been able to gather. Yeah, I mean, I did see it with a group of people, so like hanging out with people was not a waste of time. Like that that's one of the things about college football is that like usually it's a general, social activity. It's a social activity, exactly, and so it did suck. Uh, watching the game and then having to watch the rest of football, like pretending like you cared about the rest of the teams. And then, you know, we, we ended up, I was at the place I was at, we watched a little UFC fight just to kind of like cleanse, cleanse the palate a little bit after that, that loss. But I have to say one of the things that has definitely helped cleanse the palate uh, of the ducks loss was waking up this morning and watching our boy, Yusuf Nurkic, the Bosnian beast, Emphasis on Bosnia in this particular role. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Putting on for his nation to get a huge upset against Luka and Slovenia. I mean, I don't want to put any, like, you know, ceilings on anything, but, like, I feel like this is, like, the peak of whatever this uh, Euro basket's going to be for Nurk and, and Bosnia. Like, I don't know how they go up from here. Yeah, I've been watching the Eurobasket stuff off and on. I I'm gonna be honest at this I, at this point in my life, I'm way too old to be getting up at four or five in the morning or whatever to watch uh, these games. I when I was when I was like in college, I used to do that like during like the the whatever year I think the Olympics were in London one year when they you know Team USA was playing you know very early in the morning, so I would get up and watch that. I had a roommate in college one year who was really into 
European soccer and he would always just be getting up at these ungodly hours to watch, you know, Premier League games or whatever. And I'm just, at this point, I'm just way too old to do that. But yeah, Nurkic has been playing really well. And I also thought it was cool that Chauncey Billups was, is Joe over there with him too? Yeah, yeah, they're both there. They I they show them they show them during games. Like they showed them today during the game, like they did something and they cut courtside and in the game before too, they showed uh they were hanging out with the Sacramento Kings brass, Mike Brown and um I'm blanking on the name, uh Monty McNair. The, Monty 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 McNair. Was Anjali World there? I did not see Anjali World. So it's not the real brain trust. It's it, yeah, it's the brain trust that wanted to go to Germany on Labor Day weekend. That's a that's a good vibe summit. Mike Brown is always a, a vibes elevator. Oh, definitely. He he, he seems like is a, a a big time vibes guy. I mean, I feel like that's why he's been able to maintain so long in the league is that he he's been able to just generate good vibes for the squad uh, wherever he's at. Did you see that video right after he took the Kings job of him, like at that season ticket holders Q and a, where he was talking about like De'Aaron Fox got in trouble with his wife for like calling him from his honeymoon to talk about draft prospects. It was so funny the way he said it. <laughs> it was so I good. Not, I did. Not, I, did, I actually did not hear that. No, no, this is, this is from like three months ago or whatever. When, whenever he took the, the job, it was just, it was, he was doing some season ticket holder event and he made some joke about like, De'Aaron Fox was like calling one of his assistant coaches to watch film and they were telling him not to get in trouble on his honeymoon or something. It was, it was great. That's awesome. But back to Nurk for a second, like I, it's just so nice. I would just say as someone who wants the Blazers to do well, that he's having some games where he's building some confidence. And I just think that that, goes such a long way if there's one thing that we've learned about him since he came to portland in what was it 2017 it was 17 yeah yeah 2017 i mean it's just that when he's confident and he's playing with attitude like he gets to another level and like you know he didn't shoot the ball great tonight but like he is really the fulcrum of the offense he got a lot of rebounds he he just controlled things made plays and like there's I think also too this team counts on him a lot and I think for the Blazers sake like they won't have to count on him as much as Bosnia is currently counting on him you know to carry the load but Portland's gonna need him to carry a load and I think just him coming in with some confidence getting some wins under his belt for his home country on this stage they beat France the other day in a world cup uh, qualifier as well. So in a matchup with Gobert, mind you. So like he, I think looks good. Like, I mean, this is the first time really, I feel like I've gotten to see him like play summer, meaningful summer basketball. But I think the most you can ask is that he just keeps doing this and that he has as good of an experience and to get a W like this, like to have confident nerd. Cause I feel like that's the biggest thing that we always want from him when we watch him is like, come on, man, stop being so afraid of like, you know, going weak to the basket. It's like when he has that confidence, he's dunking on people. That's what you want. And he's doing that right now. Yeah. I think this is, this is good for me. I also feel like just the stakes of this Euro basket tournament are 
maybe it's just because so many like Jokic is playing, Luca is playing, Giannis is playing, Gobert, like you mentioned, is playing. You don't usually have, you know, the last two MVPs and then another guy who most people think is a top five player in the league playing in these like at least the last the last few years ever since you know I think I think like like 2012 was the last time you had like LeBron and you know that that caliber of guys playing at the Olympics a lot of times now it's like this secondary you know level guys or kind of the more up-and-coming guys you don't usually have like you know a Giannis and Luka and Jokic all playing in this type of tournament and so I feel like the stakes are higher here and just the level of basketball is higher and just and seeing Nurkic you know hold his own let alone you know actually play really well and get some wins against teams that on paper you would think you know a a team with Luka you would think would be favored in this kind of tournament and for Bosnia to beat them like yeah it's huge and I think you're totally right that you know just these level of reps like this is probably I get you know because you know he, he didn't play in the conference finals uh, in 2019. Cause that was when he had the leg injury. So he wasn't actually on the court. Are these maybe like the highest stakes and highest level games that Nurk has ever played in, in his career? They might be. Yeah. 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 I would say the only thing close to that is probably the Lakers series or when they played in the bubble like that. Yeah. That's a, but there's no I crowd, guess. but there's no crowd. It's just, it's way different than this. Like there's like, there's an entire section of shirtless Bosnian men at yeah, this, at this event, like doing, like waving their flags and shit, like, like and I also, do... like in in these, you know, in these European countries, like, like I know that there's been this whole discourse and controversy about how much guys care about USA basketball and how you can't get the top guys to play. In a lot of these Eastern European countries, it's like the biggest thing. Oh my god! But give me a break on that. Like we just saw KD and. I mean, fucking Dame playing with a bat with with a messed up core, like like he had a basically a hernia, like the torn core muscle like thing, like and he was out there. Drew Holiday, like fresh off an NBA championship, like 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 I don't really like. Okay, just because LeBron and Steph aren't playing doesn't mean that like we are sending scrubs to these tournaments either. Well, my point is that for in these European countries, you're, there's never a question that like the top, top, top guys from those countries are going to play in these tournaments because it's so much more of a meaningful thing uh, for them than, you know, maybe it is for some of the top guys in, in for uh, the U S team is, is, is the point I was making, which is why, you know, you, you're going to see these guys go extra hard in these tournaments. Yeah. I mean, and they're in Germany right now. Well, they took a loss to to Bosnia, or not to Bosnia, excuse me, to Germany. Uh, the, the Bosnian team did because Franz Wagner is speaking of like he was like one of the. He's also one of these NBA guys that's just balling out of control. Did right you see now. the only Franz uh, graphic that the Magic Twitter po- account posted today? I did not see that, but I'm so glad that of all the NBA teams to do like, I feel like to do a like NBA and porn company crossover. It, I think, I feel like the Orlando magic are that team. You think so? I, I, I think they were met. I mean, they clearly are now, but I feel like if you had, if you had asked me which team is most likely to do like, you know, porn adjacent comedy, it would probably be the Orlando magic. Well, remember that uh, what, there was some porn company that, or some porn website that wanted to, like it made this whole public thing about wanting to be the sponsor of the Miami Heat's arena when when they were changing the name of their arena. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I, I vaguely do remember that. Like, and obviously there were tons of photoshops. Of right, like, and of, and of how course it would they, look like like Pornhub Arena or whatever. And like, and of course they end up going with some crypto company, which is also perfect. But uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that's cool about Nurkic being over there is. Chauncey Billups is over there watching him. And Chauncey had some quote the other day. I think he gave an interview to was like Euro hoops or one, one of those, like one of those European outlets that a lot of those outlets, I, I follow a lot of that. You know, I follow a lot of, you know, Euro hoops and Sportando and a lot of these outlets that do a lot of really good work covering that type of, uh, you know, that, that, that area of the world when it comes to basketball, but what like, Chauncey did an interview with one of them. And he said that, you know, he always loves, you know, watching guys play for their national team. So I think, I think this is, I think this is a good vibes uh, development. Totally. I think it's great that Chauncey's there. I think it's great that Joe Cronin's there. And it honestly, it just, yeah, it it makes me like to see Nurk confident, to see Chauncey there supporting him, which, you know, last year, you know, back before they, you know, gutted the whole team and just said, fuck it for the whole year. Like, that was one of the things that Chauncey, like in every interview. Chauncey loves Nurk. Well, and he just, and and he is not afraid to put the pressure on him publicly that he is so important to the success of this team. Like, because you just know what you're going to get from Dame. Like, you don't have to publicly challenge him to get the best out of him. But with Nurkic, it's like, he, I feel like Nurk just needs a little bit of friction to really be his best self, and 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 I and I think this is just another example of like like that like having a little bit of it's pressure is a privilege. I think and I think when Nurkic feels it, he rises to an occasion, and I just think that it's it they need more of that, and I think having the confidence on top of that 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 he's actually delivering is gonna hopefully mean really good things for the Blazers when the NBA season comes. Yeah. So speaking of Chauncey and just speaking of kind of the, the, the Blazers uh, coaching situation, I, you know, switching gears here uh, from, from the Eurobasket tournament, there's a little bit of an interesting piece of news that came out a couple of days ago. My understanding is that this change actually was made a while ago, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago that it actually happened. I, you know, I, I didn't, I, full disclosure, I didn't know about it until Mark Spears uh, broke the news, but I've been able to figure out after the fact that it actually happened uh, earlier than that. But uh, Ednisha Curry, who was an assistant coach under Chauncey Billups, apparently was let go recently and... I don't really know what much about what happened there or what led to it, but that made a little bit of news over the last couple of days. My sources have also confirmed the same thing that you heard that this happened a, a while ago or relatively, relatively long time ago in the NBA world. It was like a few weeks is what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it was closer to the beginning of August than when we heard about it here now at the beginning of September. The timing of it, it felt it felt weird, the timing of it, given when we heard about it. But when you hear about it, you do a little reporting after the fact. It's less weird, but then we also don't know how they are going to fill Coach Eddie's spot on the bench. And that is slightly concerning. That we we don't have any new we don't have any news of a replacement, and you would think that they would want some another coach in 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 her place, you know. 
that, that I guess is like the one red flag I guess I would have. Yeah, you would think, I I guess I'm not surprised that this kind of flew under the radar because it's not like this is a head coaching hire where there's just so much attention on it. A lot of this kind of business and a lot of this kind of turnover happens every year kind of around the league. And most people don't really, you know, pay that much attention to, you know, an assistant coach getting changed out. Uh, with, with, with her, I think it's notable because, you know, obviously she was the only woman on staff. And I think she was the first woman ever to be on a coaching staff in franchise history. And, you know, we're starting to, you know, hear more about, you know, there being more women on these staffs and on different, you know, in different roles that women have you know, traditionally not held. My friend Katie Heindel actually just wrote a really interesting piece about that where she talked to a lot of folks uh, recently. But in, you know, this past year when there was not really a lot going on positive with the Blazers, Anisha Curry seemed like she was kind of one of the positive things to take away because she, you know, she was, she kind of had this, you know, pioneering, you know, role with the Blazers. And, from everything I was able to observe, all the players liked her. Chauncey spoke very highly of her the couple of times I talked to him about her. I was going to do a story on her at one point, but uh, under previous uh, decision makers, the assistant coaches were not allowed to talk to the media, so I never ended up doing it. But I did talk to Chauncey about her a little bit, and he he only ever had positive things to say about her, and... Greg Brown is a player that I know that she uh, worked very closely with and Trendon Watford as well, who, you know, if you look at Trendon Watford's arc last season, he got a lot better from the beginning of the year to the end. And he ended up having his two-way contract converted into a real contract. She was with the team at Summer League. His full his full name is Summer League MVP, Trenton Watford. Yeah, and actually our boy uh, Seth Allen, uh, one of our OGs, the uh, very, very funny stand-up comedian. I was at Faded uh, a couple weeks ago at a local uh, uh, bev- adult beverage establishment, a comedy show that uh, our buddies Sean Jordan and uh, Shane Brendan put on, and Seth was on the show. And he was wearing clearly a bootleg, like bought, you know, bought from uh, eBay type of, situation i don't think this was an official product but he was wearing a trend and watford summer league mvp t-shirt and it was pretty powerful yes he was wearing the same shirt not to, to snitch but he was wearing the same shirt at assville the uh, ass fest excuse wow me. repeating fits wow i mean i mean i mean if i had that shirt though and that was part of my <laughs> steez i dude i mean you know steve jobs repeated his fit every day oh man yeah, that's. I, I guess we'll give Seth a pass for that one. But Seth is in the Steve Jobs zone. He is. They're basically he's, he's, the same. He's been in the game long enough. Yes. Uh, yes. But anyway, back to the the Anisha Curry thing. I don't know what led to this. I think this is something that we're probably going to ask either Joe or Chauncey on media day, which is in about three weeks. So I'm very interested to see kind of. What what led to this? Because the statement that the Blazers put out, I've got it up here. They made they they gave this statement to Mark Spears after Mark reported uh, the news. And by the way, Anisha Curry, as we speak, is in Brazil right now, coaching the Virgin Islands team in uh, the America Cup tournament. Which Venezuela is gonna? I'm just I'm just calling my shot right now. Venezuela is gonna win that. Who's on the Venezuelan team? 
I don't even know, to be honest with you, but we I know we have hoopers. Like because we beat Canada a couple years ago in the FIBA Americas tournament when like every Canadian journalist was like criticizing the Venezuelan media for being happy that Venezuela won the Americas tournament. But uh yeah, um I honestly don't know. We don't we don't have any NBA players, I know that much. But we do have a lot of dudes that have played college. And the, I, I will say the Venezuelan league is a, a good league uh, in terms of like, obviously it's not Europe, it's not China, but right. um, it's a, comp- it's, it's a competitive basketball league. We have hoopers. I mean, okay. we definitely have, so, so, so I, I that, that's what I, that's all I'll say. Um, and I think I, I would put us definitely against the rest of uh, the Americas, especially given the fact that the United States uh, sent Norris Cole to the <laughs> tournament. So the statement that the Blazers gave to Mark Spears about uh, Anisha Curry, it says, quote, We recently made the decision to part ways with Coach Curry. The organization appreciates her her considerable contribution to the coaching staff last season and in Summer League developing our young talent, but we have decided to go in a different direction and wish her the best in her future endeavors. So that makes it sound like they just fired her. And I don't know what that was about. If she was like, if, if, if she was like leaving to take another job, then I think they would have led with that or they, or, you know, that's how it would have been presented. It sounds like she was just let go. And I, you know, I've asked around, I haven't really been able to figure, I haven't been able to get anything more than that statement. I've, again, I only ever heard positive things about her, uh, while she was coaching with the Blazers staff last year and this summer. So I wish I had more to give you guys about this. I just, I honestly don't know anything more than what's out there. I've tried to find out, but I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think, I think, I think the safest thing that we can tell you is that this, this did not happen this week. That is what we can definitely tell you that, that, that other than that, we don't know much about this, but uh, I think, yeah, given her, her role on the team and, and the way the team went about, you know, promoting it, I just think we, we had to talk about it for sure. It's not just like something that we can ignore. I'll be very interested to see what they do to fill it. Yeah, yeah, that that's going to be the, the the next the next thing that that will or won't happen because we don't we don't know. Maybe 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 they won't fill it. Yeah, I don't know. And I, one thing that I think is interesting is when when I was uh, working on a story about her again. This was about a year ago. This was last training camp. I was talking to Chauncey about her, and he told me that when he was building, like when he, when he was still with the Clippers, uh, he kind of knew that at some point he was going to want to be a head coach. And so he started thinking about like what he wanted his staff to look like. And he said specifically that he wanted, he knew that he wanted like a lot of different, you know, types of people on his staff and a lot of different backgrounds and former players and like veteran, you know, coaching lifers, like a Scott Brooks type who's there now. And he specifically said he wanted a woman on his staff just because he knew that there were a lot of talented female coaches out there and that you know that was something that was important to him was to have that represented on his staff so I wonder if they do decide to fill the this spot that is now open I wonder if that's the way that they go again yeah that is that is going to be really interesting to see what happens with that spot whether they're going to do that but I also yeah it is yeah those comments definitely put Chauncey in an awkward position uh, with having to, to, you know, when the time comes to have to answer 
for why this why why this happened. Yeah, I don't know whether it was him that made the decision or whether it was Joe that made the decision, but usually there are times where they don't, like when I was covering the Bulls and uh, they fired Ron Adams out from under Tibbs, and that was kind of the beginning of the end of the relationship between him and Garpax. But like, usually a head coach has, if not full autonomy, uh, you know, a pretty strong say in what the staff looks like. So I think, you know, both Joe and Chauncey, especially since they've been promoting this idea that like everybody's on the same page and everybody's collaborating and everybody's pulling in the right direction. I'm going to be very interested. This is definitely going on the list of things to bring up on media day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is part of the media day checklist. Yeah. So speaking of the real quick, I'm going to let you take a victory lap on something because for those of you who are, regular listeners to the Rose Garden Report podcast. This is why you do it, because we call things before they happen. We have our third eye open. We have our third eye open, absolutely. Uh, speaking of this AmeriCup tournament that Adnisha Curry was just coaching in, somebody else who was playing uh, in that tournament was Didi Luzada, who was playing for Brazil and is now a former Portland Trailblazer. And if you recall, the last time Eric was on this program, which is maybe two, three weeks ago, whenever that episode was, you can go back and listen to it. You kind of suggested that maybe they would be looking to get under the luxury tax by waving somebody and that that somebody would probably be Didi Luzada. And sure enough, last week was the deadline to use the stretch provision to you know, stretch a player's salary out and the Blazers after waving and stretching Didi Luzada, I checked on this a couple days ago. They are $67,000 under the luxury tax currently. I took no, I took no pleasure in reporting that. Uh, and it, it, it was sad as someone who loved I actually love, I was a big Didi Luzada guy in the Nike. Hoops Didi's a great league. vibes guy during one of those summer league practices before they went to Vegas. Uh, there was this great tweet that uh, my guy Austin White, who is kind of the sports reporter for the um, Portland Tribune and Pamplin Media, which basically like filling the Kerry Eggers spot. But he's a you know he's a younger guy; he's closer to our age. And, you know, he's a good dude. But like he had this legendary tweet because we were out. You know, for those of you, most people listening to this probably haven't been there, but at the Blazers practice facility, I know Eric knows what I'm talking about. There's kind of this holding area where we wait until they call us in to actually have media availability, where we don't actually get to watch what's going on on the court. And through the door, we could hear people celebrating because somebody hit a buzzer beater. And Austin, you know, took this picture of the door and said, this is our view of this, of this great buzzer beater that somebody hit. And just posted a picture <laughs> yeah, of the door. Right. It was, yeah. it was a pretty good tweet, but anyway, we get in, they give us Didi as a player to talk to that day. And we ask him who hit the buzzer beater. And he was like, Oh, that was me. <laughs> that's probably the highlight of Didi Luzada's uh, Blazers career. Really nice guy. Uh, unfortunately, probably not an NBA player, if we're being totally honest. But, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe he'll get a two-way or a G League contract or something. I will say, clearly, unless he's in the PF, because I came away from, from the Nike Hoop Summit practices at the practice, which are held, for those of you who don't know, at the Blazers team practice facility. There's something yes. about that gym for him. Like, like, like there, there's something about that specific gym that does it for Didi. And uh, unfortunately, the rest of his career can't be played in the Blazers practice facility. So 
Um, and, and, and I was, I've always been a big DD guy. My guy, I've shouted him out before when I talked about him last time, but I'll shout out my, my guy, Mike Weisenberg, uh, Vise we we, and I were both big DD guys, but unfortunately this is how it goes. Sometimes. Not every prospect ends up being good. No. And the Blazers are in a, they have an ownership group that seems to like getting luxury tax payments from the other 20 from Joe Lacob. Yeah. From Joe Lacob, from Steve Ballmer. They, they they like to collect on that the, from, from Joe Sy, the the Blazers' current ownership group loves to collect those checks. I mean, I, like you're telling me that they got that check last year from Joe Lacob, and they're like, we don't want this again. It's clearly what they're trying to do. So as much as I as much as I want them to sign somebody else, uh, man, I have never been more doubtful that they won't. I will say I do think that they would be willing to go into the tax if it was for an upgrade that if it was for like, I don't know, let's, let's say the OG Ananobi thing came back on the table somehow. And it was that level of an upgrade. Uh huh. I think in that scenario, they would be, if, if it was like a real meaningful upgrade, like a real needle mover, so, some, something like that, then I think they would be willing to go back into the luxury tax. I don't think in a very popular name that I've, you know, I've heard, you know, we've been kind of talking about the agenda and I got a mailbag question about it that by the time this goes out, my mailbag will be up. But a name that gets thrown around a lot is Jared Vanderbilt, who came over to Utah from Minnesota in the Rudy Gobert trade. And now that they traded Donovan Mitchell, it's obvious that they're just trying to completely tank and tear it down and rebuild and. And be bad, I think, for several years, too. Yes, and he's uh, he's a guy that theoretically would be somebody that a team that's trying to make the playoffs should try to go get, and he you know he would fill Portland's need for a backup center, and his salary fits under the trade exception that they have in the Robert Covington trade. They're far enough under the hard cap they could do that. I don't think that Jared Vanderbilt is enough of an upgrade, or somebody of that. I'm not even talking about Jared Vanderbilt specifically because I have no idea if Joe Cronin and Danny Ainge or Justin Zanuck or whoever would be having those discussions has actually had conversations about him. But a player of that level of like, you're adding like a four or $5 million salary, you know, backup to a team that you yourself still think is, you know, a few pieces away from being a contender. I don't know if they view something like that as worth going into the luxury tax for is the way I would kind of view it right now. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I think, I guess it all comes down to how they can sell Jody Allen and Burt Cold on such a move that puts them into the tax. Because, you know, uh, I will say, we, I, I'm obviously not the big, their biggest fan, but I will say I'll, I'll give them a little bit of credit that they were willing to go into the tax when they added Ronnie Hood and Ennis Cantor at the trade deadline in 2019, which it did help them. So if you, if, if I think that might just be more of like a move that, um, and, and obviously, you know, if, if no one's buying, you can't sell it, but uh, you know, maybe they can be convinced um, because it does, it does seem a little bit like as much as like we all would want, or like I personally, and I think a lot of Blazer fans would want Phil Knight to buy the team. I still believe that's going to happen, by the way. 
Yes, but I do think that I do think there is some part of Jody that is like competitive and wants the teams that she runs to do well on a certain level. Like, even if it's like not at all, like one of the things that she really cares about, like Paul Allen did, like, I do think there is a certain part of her and obviously her like wanting to be a part of the Blazers that likes the thrill of the competition. Like I, 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 I do think that there is some element of that, even if it's not, she's the world's biggest Blazers fan. Like Paul Allen was. That's certainly what they are putting out there. You can land wherever you want to land on how much you buy into that. One thing that I think is interesting about the possibility of, adding somebody else. And this was also why I was surprised when they ended up signing Jabari Walker to a real contract instead of a two-way and use up that 15th roster spot is I know that Neil always used to like to carry 14 players and say that it was for flexibility. And I know that Joe in a lot of ways is very different philosophically, but Joe was the salary cap guy in the previous versions of the front office dating back to Kevin Pritchard. I would imagine that if that was the consistent strategy for how to manage that stuff, Joe probably had some sort of say in that. And so that makes me think that maybe Joe also has the philosophy of, you know, we'll go to 15 players under contract if we have to, but we'd prefer to, be able to, you know, take two players back in a trade for one, possibly like, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still in the process of kind of figuring out how this new front office works, just like everybody else is. And, you know, what, you know, what different guys value and who has input into what I'm still kind of figuring that part out. It's not as clear cut as maybe it was under the last uh, regime, but that's one area the uh you know the wanting to carry 14 versus 15 i think that's something that might be similar from the last front office to this one yeah this has been a, a super super interesting uh off season i think we're still learning a lot about what this front office is, is like and what they have to deal with 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 regards to ownership do you have any olivier sar takes i have zero Alternatively, what was your favorite memory of Norvell Pell's Blazers tenure? <laughs> Man. Uh, is Where does he rank on the it's list? A to, of it's like, a toss-up between when he was signed and when he was waived. Where does he rank on the all-time list of Blazer legends? Because I feel like Tomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Mehmet Okur, uh, you know, I feel like there's a pretty strong list of guys who, you know, Norvell Pell's Blazers career lasted from August to September. Mm-hmm. I think he has to be on that list. Yeah, yeah, he he he's in that. He's definitely in the Nikhil Alexander Walker zone of, of Blazers legend. Definitely, I I would I I feel very comfortable putting him in that tier. By the way, I just I still remember the day of the deadline when they did that trade with the. Uh, it was like the, it was like th- whatever three teams. It was like you know they rerouted uh, Tomas Sadoransky somewhere, and then Nikhil Alexander Walker. That was just like to move some money around. And there were so many people on Blazers Twitter who were just outraged that they wouldn't take 
a flyer on Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And this is just more proof that this new front office has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and is Nikhil Alexander-Walker even on a team now? You know, is what? he still on the Jazz, or did they he might still he might still be on the Jazz. Let's see, because he, yeah, he got traded there for the Joe Ingles contract. Yes, uh, yeah, he's still currently on the Utah Jazz, according to Wikipedia. Okay, okay, so he'll he'll get plenty of reps. He's definitely uh, going to get a lot of run next season. So we'll we'll get to really see what 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 the Blazers front office is missing this season. Maybe they missed out on the next Kawhi Leonard with Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Currently, his best NBA accomplishment is being Shy Gilgis Alexander's cousin. Uh, future Nick Shy Gilgis Alexander. Shay S H A E. S H A E. According to some people, yeah. According to some um, people who cover the NBA professionally. Uh, so speaking, so speaking of that, like, what, what do you think about, do you have any like thoughts from either direction from the Utah side or the Cavs side? What did you think about the Donovan Mitchell trade? I love it for Cleveland. I do too. I, I, I think it's totally the exact type of move that they needed to make. Colin Sexton clearly was not in their plans and I'm happy. One of the like, kind of like very, 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 very deep on the side stories of this NBA offseason was why is everyone screwing over Colin Sexton? Why does everyone that puts up half, like barely any stats get to have really good contracts and Colin Sexton gets fucked and he actually got a deal, which was I like, that was like one of the bigger subplot, one of like the under discussed subplots of the offseason. So I'm happy for Colin Sexton. But uh, for Cleveland, like, this is exactly what you should do. Like, you got two good bigs. Now you got Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And, I mean, Donovan Mitchell instantly becomes, like, the guy that you just – you turn to in the last couple of minutes of a game. And now you've got him, Garland, Allen, Mobley, and Isaac Okoro. That's a really, really good starting five. And something that I think you and I have talked about since – this trade happened. I agree with you. I, I, I also like the idea of, um, you know, and I said this when the Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert. Also, I like when these young up and coming teams that feel like they're building something decide to just say, screw it and go all in and not worry about future draft picks that may or may not turn into anything. I like doing that. I like it when teams do that. And I have, not really enjoyed a lot of the analysis of this trade that's very, you know, hand-wringing about, like, what's going to happen when uh, Evan Mobley is eligible for the Rose Rule extension and they already have two guys under contract in two years? Like, how is that going to affect? Like, I like that the Cavs, A, I, I've, just generally speaking, I like that it finally feels like the Cavs are building a real team that isn't just the greatest player of his generation happened to be born in the state of Ohio. And that's why they've ever done anything as a franchise. Like they're actually trying to build something that's different and that's organic. I like that. But a point that you have made to me, and I've seen some other people make on Twitter is that a Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland backcourt feels kind of similar, just at least on paper and skill set wise to the Dame CJ thing, but the 
supporting cast that Kobe Altman has put around those two. And I, I don't even want to call Jared Allen and Evan Mobley a supporting cast because like Jared Allen was an all-star and Evan Mobley like might already be the best player on this team, even though he's going into his second year. But the talent around the quote unquote, two small scoring guards in Cleveland is already way better than anything Damon CJ ever had around them in eight or nine years or whatever it was in Portland. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it, and and not only in like the just the pure talent, like God, what, what I'm bringing this one. This is a favorite Olsheism. The aggregation of talent they also are structured in a way that they are helping make up for the weaknesses of their star guards, where they've got two seven footers that can move on the perimeter that can help erase some kind of mismatch what have you and then you've got Okoro who is like the truest like I mean he's not the truest but like he's very much like you look up what a small forward looks like in a textbook and like he is that like he's the right size he's athletic he and and now he's just in a role where he doesn't really have to do anything on the offensive end and can just be a slasher type guy like to me this is it's 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 a very very good roster construction and you know they still have some moves I think they can make with their bench but I really do think that right now like this is a great starting point and to your point about like when Minnesota gets good and they're like okay we're gonna make a trade and go for it like this is the type of stuff that I do think that like yeah it, it would you know that we need more of and we need a little like yeah it's great that. Utah has all these picks, you know, from the Gobert trade and the Cleveland trade. But then even if you hit on all your picks, you get in a situation where you're Memphis and you got to trade DeAnthony Melton for nothing. And that's first world problems. But like, even like, I just think that there's really no perfect way to build a team. And like, there's like, we have become so polarized and idealized in either the tank way or the all-in way and I just really think that it's right it really just depends on your team yeah the other uh blazer centric angle you know to to this point the other blazer centric angle that I saw some people make was you know after you know when 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 the when this trade happened and people were listing all of the assets that Danny Ainge got for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell I, there were some people who were saying, man, the Blazers didn't even call Danny Ainge when they had a GM opening. And like, this is what they could have done. Like they could have gotten all these picks too. And I actually, in the mailbag that posted, uh, by the time this is up, I got a couple of different questions about like, should the Blazers do the Utah, Oklahoma city strip everything down and get all these picks you know, approach. And I've always just kind of felt like, A, like, when is that ever? I, I get it. Like, on paper, in a vacuum, I get it. Like, I get what the incentive would be to do something like that. And I get that it buys a GM a lot of job security because you can't fire them until they see the rebuild through. So if you trade, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, or you trade Damian Lillard, or you trade whoever, you know, if you're Sam Presti, you trade Paul George and Russell Westbrook in the same offseason. 
you just basically bought yourself five more years of job security, which, you know, a, a newsflash for fans, the most important thing to a lot of uh, these GMs is keeping their own jobs more so than necessarily winning a championship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could, we, we, we can attest to that here in Portland. Like, I think it's like very, With very some true. People, yes. Yeah. But, uh, but who's to say that even works? Like, Look at all of the teams, like the, the the team that's like the team you associate with that strategy is Philadelphia. You know, going back to t- 10 years ago or whatever, whenever they hired Sam Hinkie and started the whole process thing. Yes, they did get Joel Embiid out of that. And Joel Embiid is an MVP caliber player. So in that sense, it worked. Or in that sense, you know, it was a good strategy. But how many conference finals have the Sixers made? in that time it's zero and it it is like not to you know yeah I, i do think the pendulum has swung too far the other way on like the having just this suite of picks that you can all like it hasn't really quite worked yet i don't think like i guess the and i don't even count the celtics i was gonna say the closest anyone has come is boston but they were at least trying to be good the whole time that they were bad or getting good picks. When they traded Garnett and Pierce, those guys were like 38. And it wasn't like you're trading 25-year-old Donovan Mitchell and you know a guy who's going to be in his prime for the next seven or eight years. You're trading those guys at the end of their career and the Nets were just desperate and gave you a ton of picks because Billy King was a bad negotiator or whatever. But then also, like you said... During those years when the Celtics were drafting Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with those Nets picks, they were bad for one year, which was the year right after that trade, which is when they took Marcus Smart in the top 10. But every year after that, they were in the playoffs and they were making the conference finals a lot of those years while they were still like the year they draft, they drafted Jason Tatum number three overall. They traded back from one and drafted Jason Tatum third in 2017. Coming off a season where they made the where they were the one seed of the East and made the Eastern Conference Finals, so it's not like a multiple year like you know Philadelphia you know in the process years where they're just like throwing out Hollis Thompson and Casper Ware and these dudes that are just like not NBA players and just like not even pretending. Like I guess the way that I would put it to Blazer fans who want this sort of uh, you know approach or they want them to go in this direction. How much did you actually enjoy the last three months of this past season? And would you like to sign up for multiple years of that in a row in order to maybe one day one of these picks turns into a player as good as Dame? The thing is, those people might say that today that they'd be down to do that. And then like a two years let's check, now, let's check like, in after Let's check in after the first full season of that when you, you're staring down another one. Like how much are you actually going to enjoy it? Like, and I get that like Sixers fans like really leaned into the process and like leaned into that as like their whole personality. But I think that's just because like Sam Hinkie had like the Daryl Morey prestige and the like, you know, there was like, it was like all easier to like build a cult of personality around him and act like he was like the reason that you root for, like, I don't know that, that like at the older that I get, the the more I have started to feel like that stuff's all fake. And that stuff is just like, like, is like the most boring way to consume. I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to tell anybody how to, or not to enjoy what they enjoy. But to me, that's like the most boring kind of like way to follow basketball. to me. I agree. Because it just makes it turns the NBA, which is a very fun, interesting, and 
you know, multi-layered league into the stock market. And like, that's not fun to me because that's not why I watch the NBA. I just, I, I get it. Like, again, purely on paper, I get it. I get what the impulse would be, but just in practice, I just, I don't think it ever works as well as people say that it's, or think that it's going to work. And it really just exists to buy job security for front office executives. Yes. I mean, I mean, I think the best thing that I can say about this, the, the, the Utah trade is that, and both of them is that it buys Danny Ainge job security until 2029. Yeah. I mean, good good for him. It's uh, yeah. Good. Great. It's a a sweet gig. If you can get it where Justin Zanuck does all the actual day to day stuff and Danny just gets to kind of be the face of it. By the way, uh, we have had our third eyes open for a long time about Dwayne Wade buying into the ownership group of the Jazz and steering Donovan Mitchell to the Heat. It turns out we had Dwayne Wade's former team wrong. Man. (laughs) Classic move. (laughs) Cavs legend Dwayne Wade. Cavs lifer. That number nine Dwayne Wade Cavs jersey is going to get retired the same time as LeBron's. Which is funny that they, because uh, actually no, I don't think D, they don't. I don't think they gave number nine to Dean Wade. You know who? You know why they didn't uh, give Dwayne Wade number three? You know who had it? Wasn't it Kendrick Perkins? No, no, Kendrick Perkins was already gone by then. He did oh. wear number three. Oh man! Which, by the way, reminds me of like the single one of the like, may, probably the single greatest picture I have in my phone was of. You know, one of those first two Cavs Warriors finals that I was covering in Cleveland, somebody had a Dion Waiters jersey that they taped over to say Perkins for number three. Uh huh. That oh and I just I have a picture of it. No, I honestly I don't. Who had number three for the Cavs back then? Isaiah Thomas, who was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade that summer. Oh my god! And they didn't want to give a. Uh, Dwayne Wade number three because they wanted Isaiah Thomas to be comfortable and that was already the number he had picked because they saw Isaiah Thomas as somebody they were going to build around after trading Kyrie Irving for him. Man. That's, it's just, it, it's rough. Shit the NBA is... Well, yeah. and they got Jay, and they got Jay Crowder in that deal and like that was like the worst Jay Crowder has like ever played in his life. Yeah. Was when he was on the Cavs. It was just a very bizarre... That was a weird season, man. I still that have that seventeen my... eighteen, the last LeBron year. That was a weird collection. Like Derrick Rose was there at one point, and then <gasps> wasn't. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, and well, dude, and then Tyloo like Loki almost died. Yeah, that was the that was the year he was like stressed at, so stressed out about. He was coughing up that... blood. They were saying, yeah, I was I was at LeBron Meyer at that time, and I was like. Like yeah, the reports you do some were like aggregation yeah. posts about Ty Lue coughing up blood. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, yeah, I I I, I, I was trying to get a traffic the, the, bonus. the pinnacle of I, your journalism career. Yeah, me me grinding for a traffic bonus the month that Ty Lue almost died. Welcome to did content. you get the traffic bonus? I I think I did probably. Yeah, but thank you thank you USA Today Sports. Feeling very felt very fulfilled in that moment. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, on that, I think that's probably a good place <laughs> to end it. Uh, real, real, real quick though, on a, just a little bit more of a serious note, uh, and you know, I wrote about this at the top of the mailbag that I put out yesterday. But you know, 
thoughts and prayers to our buddy Jonathan Charks, who's uh, been battling cancer for a while, and his wife just posted an update that doesn't seem good, and it seems like things are going to be resolved very soon, if you will, and so just thoughts and prayers to uh their family Jonah, i'll put the link to the gofundme in the description for this uh podcast so if you if you want to donate for uh that i would encourage you to do that i just i just saw jonathan like two months ago at summer league and he looked great and he said that his treatments were going well and just you know it's just it's just i don't really have a lot to say about it it just it, it just sucks yeah it's it's very brutal um I read the same thing yesterday. So uh, thoughts and prayers to Jonathan Sharks and his family. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like that's all yeah. I really have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back. We'll have a new podcast out next week. I think while we're still in this dead part of the off season, there's not a lot to cover. We're still going to be once a week, but uh, once training camp gets going and there's actually stuff to talk about, I'm going to try to do this twice a week. I would imagine Eric will be on it, you know, often, not every episode, but often. And as I, I, oh, you know what? Another note, I will be going to Santa Barbara for the Blazers training camp, which they are apparently going to be doing the first week of training camp in Santa Barbara. So I've already booked that. Uh, If you want to help make that coverage as good as it possibly can be, I would encourage you to buy a premium subscription to the Rose Garden Report because doing this independently, I don't work for an outlet. Like, I don't work for the Oregonian. I don't work for the Athletic. I don't work for, you know, ESPN. Like, one of these outlets that has a travel budget. I work for you. And if you want the best, you know, Blazers training camp coverage that you can get, I would encourage you to sign up for a paid subscription because the money that you're paying for that in part will go towards, you know, paying for that kind of stuff and, you know, getting me to Santa Barbara to give you real good coverage. I mean, if you liked a lot of the stuff I did in Vegas at summer league or wherever else, you know, that's, if you like that sit down interview I did with Nasir little recently, that's the kind of exclusive uh, stuff that you're going to be getting from me a lot. Once the season starts and training camp starts and the way to build those relationships is to be around the team a lot and to be on these kinds of trips. And so I will be there and I would very much appreciate it if people wanted to go to rosegardenreport.beehive.com and get a paid subscription. I think it's going to be worth your while. It's going to certainly make it easier for me to do the kind of work that I want to do. And as always, the podcast, you can get anywhere you get that. That's always free. Apple, Spotify, Google, Wherever else, I will be back with you next week, and thank you for listening.